So this is Aaron uh, from Trauma Teachers, the one half, and uh, we wanted to give a little reminder or uh, introduction to, again, why we started the podcast. Um, first, we, we started as, as a way, an outlet for Patrick and I to kind of uh, a healthy way to get our feelings or, or emotions or processing things uh, about our work. Um, but another more important reason that we started doing it is uh, we wanted to give a humanized aspect or, or perspective or look at um, how our kids are seen and, and how uh, the kids we work with are, are viewed. Because sometimes I know uh, the kids, you know, are, are just seen as for what their actions or behaviors are. And we wanted to give another another outlet or another look. This is Patrick, the other half of Trauma Teachers. We also aim to provide basic strategies uh, to use with our kids if you do work with our population. And we always leave those strategies on our Facebook page, which we just started. It's called what? Uh, I think it's Trauma Teachers. And, and for me personally, this is doubling my amount of friends to two. So nice. Aaron, I appreciate that. And we <laughs> hope you guys enjoy it. And welcome to Trauma Teachers. This is Aaron and co-host Patrick. Yeah, I think, I think you, are you here? I'm, I'm here. here. <laughs> I was, uh, we just, we just digested a lot of information. I would say, yeah, man, a whole lot. So I was, um, so we are recording this after we just had an interview with, um, and we're not just saying this cause it's our podcast. It's right. a, a very impressive guest, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say so. Um, and so I introduced him a little bit in the episode. His name is Dr. Eric Larson. He's done what we do for over 40 years. years. Um, yeah. He's done it all over the world, has stories were incredible. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, we, we often remind you guys that we are not uh, experts um, by any means, but we had an, a bona fide expert on the show today. And also just, I mean, he could have talked. We could have gone like uh, I mean, Joe would, Rogan style like yeah. five hours. Like he could have <laughs> talked forever. Um, and, the, and he was so generous with his time. He actually came to... Our illustrious studio, aka my classroom, <laughs> right. um, which was incredibly was nice. Amazing, yeah, um, and we started the episode off as we normally do, and we were going through like you know strength of the week or, or highlight of the week and struggle of the week, and then we both decided just to let him talk. Yeah, just let him go because there's no need to do the structure of the episode with him. So we don't we didn't do ads or anything like that. But I, this is by far our best episode. I, I'm like very excited to re-listen to it because there was a lot of knowledge I don't think that I was picking up as he was talking. Yeah, as I got everything, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, I, I can't wait to, to, like all the small things. I feel like there were so many small things yeah. that he gave out. And some of his stories were so, that was stuff you could never do now because no. of liability yeah, and stuff. Right. And so I was like, I was this is so impressive. <laughs> and then I was like, like you said, I was missing those little like, I hate when people say tidbits, but I was missing those little <laughs> tidbits of information. Um, so, with, with nothing else, we'll just go ahead and and I introduce him next. I think. And yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. We'll let y'all. I I very much encourage people to listen to the. It's a longer episode, but it's, it's yeah, by far the best thing. Yeah, it's gonna be filled with lots of tons of great stuff. And hope you enjoy it. Yeah. All right, so we're on to our getting to know you section. Um, we have a special guest today. I wanted to introduce real quick. Um, he's worked in our, a setting like ours for over thirty years. Uh, authored more than two dozen publications, and is currently a professor in our area, working on ways to uh, care for the young people that we talk about in our podcast. So, introducing Dr. Eric Larson. And for the getting to know you question, Dr. Larson, what made you decide to move to the United States? Oh, it was um, really an opportunity. Uh, I had um, worked with what at that time in 1980 uh, was referred to as delinquent children. Mm. Uh, and I had been on uh, worked with some young people and had brought them back in front of a juvenile judge. And he was quite impressed. That was in Copenhagen, Denmark. And he was quite impressed with what these kids had accomplished. So he pulls me up to the bench afterwards and says, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, could you do something with kids who have been involved in motorcycle gangs? <laughs> and I said, Maybe. Uh, <laughs> Seems like an odd question. I don't know. And he said, I have about 12 of them. Uh, so um, I said, no, I'll, I'll think about it and I'll give you a ring. So um, I had had a motorcycle myself and the kids were interested in motorcycles. So I 
got this crazy idea. I had always wanted to come to the United States, you know. So I called him back and said, give me 12 of them funded so that we can buy 13 motorcycles and I'll ride with them across the U.S. for 11 months. And in the meantime, I said, um, I will teach them so that they can pass the equivalent of a GED, a Danish GED. And he said, deal. Wow. Wow. That's so. Um, I never saw the kids until the day I met them out in the airport. That's the first time you <laughs> met any of them. Never, no interviews, no records, no nothing. That's wild. And where did y'all meet? So we, uh, I mean, somebody he he had arranged with social workers and probation officers to um, to bring you know the uh, the the kids. I had gotten the kids' names, made sure that they had passports. And so I had bought 13 tickets to the U.S. And uh, uh, <clears throat> there was one 15-year-old in the group. The others were 17 and 18. So I was wondering if you could get a motorcycle license in, in the U.S. when you were 15. And at that time, of course, no internet. So I went to an yeah. encyclopedia and began. And I found out that in New Mexico, you could get a motorcycle license at the age of 15. So okay. we flew into L.A. and then to El Paso, Texas, and then took a bus to Las Cruces, New Mexico, to get licensed. And that was where it began. Yes. I, <laughs> I can't that's, even That's an imagine. incredible story. <laughs> I mean, jeez. And, and 65,000 miles and um, 40 states later. <laughs> right. They went back and they all passed their GEDs. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So uh, that's the kind of, you know, so, so I just want for people to think, oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's great. You know, because it was tough. Yeah. I was going to say, what was the biggest challenge? Being the only adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I was trained as a teacher and um, I did not know anything, but I know today what clinical depression is. Mm. Because that was where I was at the end. <laughs> yeah, it was really uh, almost impossible for me to get up in the morning. But I had the responsibility for twelve right. young men, right. right? So I had to get up. But that was the toughest part. Mm. So, so to wrap that end of the story up, the next year my wife joined me. We got her a motorcycle, and then we had a team together yeah, yeah. and go. did the trip one more time. Nice. Yeah. I don't know how either one of us is going to follow no, that. There's, there's <laughs> no, do you have a question? <laughs> there's no follow-up. Do you have a question for either one of us? <laughs> yeah, so um, how did you guys get into, what, what motivated you to work with young people? Um, well, I'll start. Um, I, I, my original, uh, I guess the seed was planned when I was in middle school, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I got assigned in gym to work with a student who was uh, in special education, sure. And it was it was my assignment in gym to kind of show him around and teach him what the lesson was. And I think we were we were in, uh, doing weight training, yeah. So it was my responsibility to kind of show him how to do the weights and and the exercises, and to kind of be with him through the process and to watch him as as he came to understand things. That was kind of the seed that got planted for me. Like I could this is I could be here. This this is something that I could do. Nice. Um, just one one time in middle school. So it's where it started for me. Okay. Yeah, and I was, um, I think I've told this before, but I was in between jobs, you know, AKA got fired. <laughs> and uh, so I was substitute teaching to pay the bills, and I like accidentally signed up for a special ed class, um, and I loved it. And then went back to school, and I did work with kids with autism for a while, and then eventually ended up here. Um, but I like this a lot better. I like mm. the autism stuff, but this, I feel like um, just the relationships with the kids and everything that we yeah. get to do here with the kids. and and just I, there is a lot of progress in both areas, but I just I see more or it's more it's more fulfilling for me in this area. So, yeah. Great. So, uh, so we're on to uh, oh, our struggle of the week. Of the week. As we get. <laughs> um, so as Thanksgiving comes up, my struggle this week was just it's it's hard to listen. I heard a lot of uh, or kids today talking about not being able to go home. Yeah. And just like there's one kid who said they haven't been home in six months. And yeah. They can't believe they're not going to be home for Thanksgiving. Um, and even though we know there's reasons that they're here, it's very hard to around, especially around the holidays. I yeah, guess, so. and it gets it gets really tough for a lot of the kids because, of course, you know they're here and they start to hear and see all of their peers and classmates who are being assigned, you know, long past trips for the holiday, and yeah. and they have to, un, you know, like Patrick said, it's it's hard for them. You know, there's reasons, but they they're not they don't have the access or the ability to go home. So kind of to kind of watch and be here while they're going through that is tough. Yeah, I think that's. I mean it. 
resonates with what I experienced, you know, um, that that it, it's really a rough time for for kids. The mm-hmm. holidays tend to be yeah. some of the toughest times because that's that's where we are all supposed to be with family, right? And they know very well that that, that is one of the missing links in, in their lives mm-hmm. is that they have not had that crucial thing that is that is essential for not only survival but also for growing strong and uh, achieving well-being in life. Did, did you have like a, a struggle from your career maybe like one of the harder things in working with this population for you? I think um, so so going back um, 30 years um, it was often uh, at, at that time regulations were different. And uh, so what we always, the struggle was always this struggle to, uh, uh, we would pair kids up and if a kid could not go back to their own family, uh, we would have them to go back uh, with another kid in the group if the family allowed. And uh, just kind of sometimes you go all wrong with that. I right, mean, so right. we had a kid who went home with another kid and it ended up that uh, the parent provided uh, a putt uh, to the whole uh, mm. Uh, throughout the wow. whole thing, and it ended up with, with you know, good intentions, you know, about sending a kid home. But that was when pairing kids up for holidays ended <laughs> as a result. <laughs> as a result of that, right. so sometimes you learn from these well-intended mistakes that right. you make over the years, right? Yeah, it sounds like a lot's changed because I don't know if we'd be able to just strap no, them up to a motorcycle. Which is kind of leading to a, a kind of like spontaneous in my next thought, like. I guess that'll wait. I guess no, no, no. We got time, man. It's gonna be all right. So we're on to the highlight of the week as we throw this episode together. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So my highlight of the week is it's similar to the struggle. I mean, just like the kids helping each other. Um, We've been having a lot of kids lately who are having a really tough time. The holidays. There's been certain stuff going on at school, and just although our kids aren't always doing it in the healthiest way, just to see that they do have that empathy for their classmates. Right. um, The older kids helping the younger kids out with stuff like not being able to go to Thanksgiving for Thanksgiving. Um, and same with like when they're struggling, just even though it's not always the best advice, <laughs> seeing that they do care and trying to help them through a struggle. So yeah. Yeah. Um, mine at my expectation actually came, um, last week, uh, did I say expectation? Yeah. I did. It's That's right. wrong. We're nervous. My highlight. Yeah, I was going to say the guess. The heavy guess, man. Uh, the highlight of the week. Uh, last week, we do an expectations lunch. That's where it comes from. Right. So for kids who are making progress um, throughout the month, the last Friday, we provide a lunch um, that they select um, from wherever they want to get it from. And this past week, it was Chick-fil-A. They all wanted Chick-fil-A. So it was really nice to be part of that experience and to have the kids be coming in. They, they were very appreciative um, and... It was just being part of that and them recognizing um, and being able to tell them that, you know, some of them didn't even understand, like, okay, like it was their first time. So, like, they were unsure of, like, what was happening or, you know, and I was like, well, remember, this is this is for you. This is your work. All of everything that you've done, this is a this is a recognition for all of the work that you've done for the last month. So really don't thank me. Kind of, you know, thank yourself because it was all about you um, and just kind of see them as they were understanding the concept. Um, it was that was that was a highlight for me. That's great. Yeah, I think uh, one of the the privileges of being my age is that um, I worked with kids 40 years ago. Mm. So some of them are now 50, 50 right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, some of the, the big highlights of my career has been when some of those kids came back mm. and, um, and um, told you that you made a difference. Um, yeah. when, when I was young, I thought that uh, I was going to be part of changing the world. Right, right. Uh, and as I matured and life became a reality, I kind of elected a motto that said that if I can um, can make one child happy today, I have fulfilled my goal. Uh, so a story. There, there was a young uh, guy that I worked with uh, in the early 80s. And... Um, he had been adopted, and as he became a teenager, he was he was really struggling with who he was, and ended up coming to a residential mm-hmm. uh, school facility, and um, he really could not uh, find out. So he constantly ran away. He constantly ran away, and uh, so one day he had uh, had run away, and uh, we did not catch him immediately. So we 
my wife and I had to go someplace. So we are driving down the highway, and this was out in the countryside. So, um, so um, we see this guy, and um, uh, he is running through the, the cornfields. And then let me switch to 15 years later. Mm -hmm. One day I stand at a gas station, and there's a guy coming out of an 18-wheeler. And he comes over and he slaps his arms <laughs> around me. And, you know, he was big. Right. Uh, and so I, what, the, what, have I done something wrong here? <laughs> right. So he says, Eric, do you remember the day that you changed my life? Hmm. And I said, no. <laughs> um, he said, the day I ran away. And let's call him John. That's not his name. So John said, um, you know, the, the day that I ran away, I said, John, there were so many days you ran away. How should I figure out which one it was? He said, the day, now we, we connect back to the cornfield. To the cornfield, yeah. The day that I was in the cornfield and you just, you and your wife pulled your car uh, over on the side and you just went out and you both sat on the hood and waited until I mm -hmm. came back. And when uh, when I came back to the car, you did not try to grab me. You did not try to kind of accuse me of anything. And and what came out of your mouth were these words, he said, um, that you said to me, I'm really sorry that you had to run away in order for us to understand how much pain you were feeling. Mm -hmm. And he said, that just made me totally collapse. And the next thing that you said was if I was hungry. <laughs> and then you took me home uh, and, and we ate together and we talked till late in the night. You know, that was the day that you saved my life. Mm. You know, so I think my successes, I kind of was able to see that many times in the midst of what you guys right. are doing right, right now, we don't see the grand mm. uh, changes, yeah. but I think that's one of the benefits that I have had. I could run on, go on with stories like this with kids who came back 10, 15, 20 years after they had been here. Not all of them. It was not that they all became doctors or lawyers, you know, or something. He became a truck driver. I mean, and he would continue to come back to that place where I worked. And whenever he came, he was coming his 18-wheeler and he would run through the... Um, um, the parking uh, area, pull the horn down, you know, <laughs> and then he would run in and find the reception uh, receptionist and say, is Eric here today? You know, because he's the one who saved my life. <laughs> and he, he would tell this same story over and over and over again. Yeah. So, so I really think that the, the success, and if we're going to talk to people who might be listening to us, is this, this thing about that it's the little things that count. Yeah. It's not necessarily yeah. the big dramatic things that we do, but it's it's the little things Those that we drop in, the small things that we do there, and kids will remember them. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot. Aaron always says, put them in your pocket, yeah, little victories. Yeah. Because there's rarely a moment, especially with our students, where they're going to come up to you in the middle of the day and just yeah. be like, oh, all of a sudden, <laughs> I get it now. Thanks like, for Thank everything. you so much. I love you. Like That, that kind of stuff just doesn't yeah, – it might yeah. happen in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, in the midst of, of, yeah. of what you're saying, like you said, like it just doesn't happen day to day. And like yeah. Patrick said, it doesn't happen in the middle of the day or, or in the middle of the school year no. with him. But that's an amazing story, and it, it really does, you know, talking about putting things in your pocket. I'm going to put that in my pocket mm -hmm. and hold on to it because, like, you know – there, there is going to be, or there might be those days where, you know, 20 years from now, like the work that I'm doing now, sure. there will, will there'll be a yeah. recognition for it or, you know, I'll be able to see that there was a benefit. Um, yeah. I don't know if we have time. I have another good story. We have, all, there. We have, Listen, all, we have that, all the time yeah, you got. That, that, that makes another point. Um, at one point, there were a uh, set of uh, twin young women. They were probably about... 15 or 16 when I worked with them and they also came to a residential uh, school and um, uh, they had been through horrific things uh, their mom was a drug addict and had prostituted these two mm. uh, girls to sustain her drug habit and uh, so they came to the program where I worked and um, 
you know, one of the girls, I mean, when, when you come to a residential program, you're supposed to do therapeutic work, right? Right. You know, and one of the girls did that. She talked to her individual therapist and she talked in group therapy and she, she got her things out, you know, and the other girl uh, didn't want to talk about what had happened to her. She, she said, the only thing I want to do is to get my high school diploma. I don't want to talk about this. I don't have a need for it. I've stuffed it. Right. So, so there were some people, uh, particularly the individual therapist, who thought that then she should not be in the program. Mm. Uh, but we got together in our team and we decided that it was best for the two girls to be together because there, there was no really no other family involved, you know. I mean, so after 12, 14 months, that was at what was the norm at that time, and they both went into foster care afterwards and so on, and they, they both graduated from high school. One girl had talked about what had happened to her, the other girl had not. So one day, it's 12 years after, 15 years after maybe, one day there is a young woman with a 10-month-old in a stroller and a three-year-old by the hand standing outside the door and asks if she can see me. Hmm. And she says, I don't know if you remember me. And I said, I don't know. So she said, I'm so-and-so. And she says, I just want to let you know that I really appreciate that you all allowed me not to dig in and talk about what had happened to me when I was here in the program. Um, but I did it when I was pregnant with the first one because I knew that in order to become a good mom, I had to talk about it. Right. Um, so I think the story, the, for me, the, the wisdom from that young woman was that there's always a time, and even though that we think that people need to talk about their issues right now or their challenges or what happened, it's not always the right time. We really have to listen to what the young people say. And uh, I think um, they're really the experts in their own lives. If we just are able to tap into them and listen to them, I think we should do that. Great. Yeah, and I hopefully Aaron and I have some stories like this eventually. Because um, one of the things we wanted to ask you about was it is kind of, it's rare to see someone that stays in this field for so long. Right. So we kind of wanted to ask you about like what kind of things you've done to um, you know stay mentally healthy and, and be able to, to stay in a field that's as challenging as this. So I mean, I think. Over the years, one of, one of the first things that uh, I did was that um, I, in, in, when, when I did the motorcycle things, we kind of had developed some principles, you know, about what, what is it that we, we do, why do we do this taking kids so far away and traveling? I mean, so, so one of the principles that we had said something like this, that from one place you don't see far, from just one place you don't see far. So one of the things that I uh, began very early was to see, to seek out like-minded people or people who worked in the same field as us, mm -hmm. who worked other places in the country, so that I could hear about what their experiences were. So I would say I had a great posse <laughs> uh, of, of residential workers, teachers, you know, who did the same kinds of things. And while I, of course, talked to my supervisor and my peers at my job, I also called my friends around the country to kind of get perspective on what I happened. I was also fortunate that for many, many years there was a conference in the Black Hills in South Dakota, and I probably went to that for 18 or 20 times, mm -hmm. uh, where there was, again, a way to recharge your batteries. Right, right. Um, lots of people, when, when people talk about self-care, oftentimes I think that people talk about, oh, you should go meditate, or you should do yoga, and you should, you should go and work out, and things like that. I really think that the most important way to, at least for me, but I also think it happens, uh, it, it works for many other people, is that I think you really need to have a, uh, a network of people. Um, 
Yuri Brunfenbrenner, I don't know if you have heard about that. He's a developmental psychologist who is very, very famous for a quotation where he said, every child needs at least one adult who is unconditionally crazy about him and her. That's what people say. But they don't continue the quote. And it goes on like this. Yuri says, and each of those adults need a group of people who are unconditionally crazy about them. Mm. So I think this thing about understanding the importance of community or relationships to support us in the work that we are doing, and also people who may not in, be in the field. I think that the best way of self-care is to be in community with others. Have fun, play music, listen to music, play table games, you know, but but doing self-care doesn't have to be individualized. It doesn't have to be self. It doesn't have to be self. I think that we we are born to be in community, and we should nurture that, and I think is that's one of the things that I, I think has changed over the years. I think it has become much more important because of screens, where people oftentimes spend a lot of time alone on their phones or, or looking at screens. Right. And so I think community, building community, is absolutely essential. So when we talk about relationships as being the uh, active ingredient in changing kids or helping kids overcome adversity, uh, it is just as important to understand that relationships are about community and building community in your classrooms. Uh, if you still have residential kids, build, really putting efforts into building community. I think that's where the power is. So I'm always trying to get Aaron to hang on after work. He never wants to comment. And now I'm getting to be like, remember what Dr. Larson said? We need to talk about this. We do. Right. Yeah. Stop standing you up, my man. <laughs> Aaron, I know you had a couple. Might, I think we'll just keep going. We're, yeah, we're just gonna, gonna throw them at him. Um, I was thinking earlier as you were you were you were you were saying you know thinking back thirty years and and um, what are some of the as you, as you've seen it the the field grow and change um, in your opinion like what are some of the best shifts or changes and so what what have been maybe some of the uh, the ones that you didn't necessarily were were a fan of in 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 the span of, of maybe, I guess, the 30 years of your career? So I, I think, for me, the defining uh, improvement in, in child care um, is that uh, is positive psychology and strength-based practices. Uh, we, for years, we asked, if I can make this simple, we asked, what's wrong with kids? You know, yeah. then we began to ask, what happened to you? It's understanding, you know, about something happened to these kids. And then we began to ask, what is strong in this kid? And I really think that focusing on kids' strength, understanding that they are really, they all are promising children. They all have strength, even though when it looks like that they don't. So I think that the whole area of, of positive psychology, positive education, which really was founded in the late 1990s. So, so strength-based practice, uh, looking at, at, you know, and positive psychology is really, uh, and that's what I think is the worst that has happened. Mm. That is the increased labeling. I mean, positive mm. psychology yeah. is a counter-reaction to the DSM. Uh, Martin Seligman, who was the founder of positive psychology, uh, said that um, um, character strength, looking at, at the positive in people's life, is the anti-DSM. So I think that we, we uh, the, the bad thing that has happened is that I think we spend too much time on labeling. And, and I think the way that Martin Seligman put it was that we spent the 20th century looking at what's wrong with people. The 21st century, we should focus on what's right with people. And I think that has happened over those 30 years, is that there has been a remarkable shift, even though that there is still a tendency to look at what's wrong uh, with people. Because I think we see what we look for. So if you look for deficits, if you look for disease, 
you see disease, right? right. Um, if you look for strength, we see strength. But we should, really, we should be balanced. It's not that we should neglect what challenges kids have, but it's a balance. What do I see? So, so my slogan is focus on what's strong, not what's wrong. Okay. So I'm gonna start saying that. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> we'll pick that up. Looking at, um, so for some of our listeners who may not be familiar, um, where are you from originally? I'm from Denmark. Okay. Uh, and um, lived there till I was, um, yeah, I got, I was uh, trained as a as a teacher mm-hmm. in Denmark and. Um, but but never worked uh, in a public school. Mm. Uh, so in a couple of years after I was done in uh, with my degree, I began to work with kids in residential programs in Denmark. Uh, so that's really been my experience since okay. 73-ish or something like that. So 40-some years, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, being with your from uh, Denmark, um, are there any differences maybe geographically, like what causes trauma for, for kids um, or are kids trauma, trauma in kids, is it, does it just, it has no bearing or no weight geographically? Do you, do you, or maybe did you notice any changes that might've been uh, in one area that wasn't in another area? So maybe, maybe some things that were, you saw in the States here in the United States that you didn't see in Denmark. I, you, you see, I, I think that one of the, the, the trauma, if, if we kind of translate what, what that means, I think trauma sometimes is a little bit of an overused word, mm-hmm. you know. But basically it's about um, when kids grow up in environments where their developmental needs are not being met on a consistent basis. That what happens. Right. Uh, and I think that has happened. Always, throughout history. I don't think it's a new phenomenon. I think it has happened always. I think that cultures, people, have become more aware of it over years, over the years. So I think we have become more and more sensitized to meeting children's growth needs and and then becoming aware of when it doesn't happen. I would say that if there is a difference between the U.S. and Denmark, it has to do with that uh, the access to weapons of all kinds uh, is much, much more abundant in this country than it is in Denmark. So I would say that, that any kind of physical abuse that is a result of weapons, mm. well, with weapons involved and a is uh, much more uh, common in this country than it is in Denmark. But beyond that, if you look at the A studies, all the ACEs, they, translate. Uh, they, they are translate across across the globe, I think. Yeah. So I, I don't think that there are the big differences. I've seen some statistics that in, in certain communities, for instance, in indigenous communities, um, family violence is more common than community violence, you know. So so if you look at A studies, it sometimes looks differently uh, than, than what we see uh, in the U.S. and in Europe. Um, so Aaron and I talk a lot about how it's hard to have an impact on our kids unless you have a relationship. Um, it doesn't always look the same. Um, sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it's when in the first day you make a connection. I was wondering, do you have any advice or maybe a story about ways to make connections with kids um, or like times when you've seen a, when you didn't think you were making a connection with the kid, but you actually were or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I would say that I probably spent, um, when I became aware of the power of relationships. I probably have spent 25 years trying to figure out how in the heck we do build relationships. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, because everybody today, I mean, know that relationships are it. Yeah. That's, that's what we should do. So how do we do it? How do we develop relationships? And I think that um, 
I wrote a book about a year ago, uh, which is uh, called Adult, is called, I don't see, uh, Intentional Responsive Adult Practices. So I think that the, the key in building relationships is to be intentional. Understanding that kids who grow up in environments where their need for belonging, their need for attachment is not being uh, met, means that they will go out some that kind of two variations, I think, of then meeting that need of attachment. And one is uh, gang affiliations or, or associating with other kids your same age, you know, and then you end up having kids raising kids, which is not meant to be. Or the other thing over time is that kids become what I call, or what other people also call to be adult wary. They are simply wearying of, they avoid adults. So I think when we build relationships, we have to be intentional. Uh, and it's almost like that, um, you, you know, it might not be a good comparison, but I like the expression about preemptive strikes of connections. You know, you attempt to make connections yeah. before the kids expect it. Right, right, right. You know, so so um, I, I think that there are advanced ways, but the simple thing is, if you're a teacher, standing in the door and meeting them in the morning, greeting them by name, touch, high fives, a pat on the shoulder, whatever kind of fits within the environment that you're in. I know that there has been a lot of studies or lots of organizations across the country who said you shouldn't touch kids. Uh, uh, you know, I basically would say that's baloney. And I was very happy. Last week there was a study that came out that had, had surveyed more, involved more than 115,000 kids related to touch. I mean, the fear was always that some touches would be misunderstood. Right. There is no evidence for it in the research. So we should touch kids. We should give them high fives, you know. We should give them a touch on the shoulder and an appropriate arm hug or whatever it is. We don't need to do big, right. you know, <laughs> big hugs. But, but touch is important. Names are important. Yeah. Um, and then the other part in the title of that book is to be responsive rather than reactive. So you see a kid. I don't know if it's the same today. I mean, kids would come in with green, green hair or purple hair or blue no, hair or whatever. Same. Yes, it's still the same. And, and, and they come in there and rather kind of shake your head, you know, kind of say, wow, how did you come up with that idea? I really yeah. like it. Yeah. You know, so invite kids in, acknowledge it. Uh, them for whatever it is, you know. Uh, so you you ask kids about what what did you do all the week? Oh, we did a lot of stuff. Then you kind of respond. Oh my gosh, I love that word stuff. Tell me about what does stuff mean? Yeah. You know, and they kind of look at you as if you are a little bit. No, no, <laughs> I really like stuff. I just don't know what stuff means for you. So I think it's it's you know at that first level, it's really about. Uh, uh, finding ways to contact. At the next level is really about our own self-awareness. It is acknowledging that there are some kids, if you kind of imagine a handshake, that you really have a very easy for time for you to connect with. Mm -hmm. Then there are some kids that you really have to just think a little bit about it. And then there are some kids that you don't connect with easily. And um, so, so what I did, uh, when I was a teacher, uh, I would write the kids in my classroom, I would write their names on a little three-by-five card and have it in my shirt pocket. And every day, I would not go home until I had made three positive, intentional connections with every kid in my classroom. So that's about a self-awareness, acknowledging that we have filters ourselves, and there are some of them that we will connect with 15 times without even have to think about it. But I realized when I began to do my little card that there were always some kids that I had a lot of catch-up work to do with at the end of the school day where I really needed to reach out to them and say something positive. Okay. Uh, so I think you, th there is that. Um, then um, I think gratitude journals are wonderful. As, give kids and yourself, at the, if, if you're in a classroom or if you do group therapy, 
to write in a gratitude journal for five minutes and then share and you role model sharing what you are have, have uh, what you are thankful for you know because it begins you remember I said earlier this thing about you see what you look for so when you look for things that you are thankful for you begin to kind of look at the strength at the good things right. and then at a higher level uh, I think that you really can work consciously uh, with people about developing what what people particularly in Scandinavia right uh, now refer to as relational competence which is a skill that you develop by videotaping yourself and getting feedback and self-reflections and so on uh, so so I know today that relationship skills can be taught yeah um, so I think as as regular teachers there are these simple things that we can do uh, and then it gets more the more committed we are to it the more complicated it gets all the time. Yeah. But it can be done. Um, here, uh, we uh, have combined the, the school life and, and residential life. Um, and I I'm, I'm understand like you're a big part of that. So what, what, what were some, or the biggest challenge of maybe combining those two lives? Ooh, it was always a challenge. I think that there is, um, uh, that there is uh, sometimes a, a challenge uh, in, in the school that uh, the teachers in the school uh, kind of get the message that everything is therapeutic and therefore they do not stress actual academic learning. Mm. Uh, so sometimes I think uh, that expectations were too low uh, from an educational standpoint. Okay. Uh, of course, we have to meet kids where they are at, but, but at least in my years, there was, we, we always had to work on that teachers understood that while they were therapeutic, they were teachers. So they were not therapeutic teachers, they were teachers who were also therapeutic. So I think that that needs to, uh, to come first. Uh, I think at, that the, the flip side of that uh, challenge seen from the residential standpoint was that sometimes it was hard for us to um, get help from the residential staff with homework assignments and other things, uh, you know, because while I'm really not a strong believer in homework, uh, sometimes there were projects or other things like that where the residential cottages could, could really have, have helped. So I think sometimes that crossover was challenging. I think that the best way, and I have been involved in doing different things, but uh, at one point, we, we at least had a good balance where, where teachers also participated in team meetings. I don't know uh, if they do that today, but uh, it was a good... And, and then we would uh, try to arrange like uh, some group uh, recreational PE activities during the time where there was uh, uh, a team meeting so that teachers also could provide input into the therapeutic directions for the kids. And I, I think that was a nice balance when that happened. My last question is, I know you didn't want to talk exclusively about this, but I did read you did some kind of sailing journey also with. Yeah, I, that was another group of, of kids I worked with. So I, um, I took um, some kids on a two masted 44 foot boat uh, and um, uh, first sailed in in Denmark, and then uh, we uh, went to uh, to Germany and um, put the masts down, and then we went upstream the Rhine River. Then we had the boat after a couple of months or something like that lifted out of the water and put into the Danube, and then tracked down to the Black Sea, uh, and did that for I I. Did not finish that journey, but then someone took the boat through the Black Sea, the Mediterranean, back up through the Rhone in France, and then back to Denmark again, so that wow. it became a, a full circle. And like on a journey like that, to the kids, I know you said it was stressful with the motorcycles. Obviously, you're the only adult, 
do the kids develop like a sense of community? Because even here, when the or do they start arguing a lot? Because like here, even with sports, like a weekend, the kids are being right. nice to each other. Right. They're they're excited for each other. Yeah. They're complimenting each other. Kids that really really don't get along are, are able to like at least be in the same room together and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah I mean, I uh, I always paid very very uh, much attention to building community with kids. Uh, so. Um, Whenever I was on the motorcycles, we would uh, we camped out for the entire time. Uh, and whether I was in the boat or where at, we would have a little powwow session. That's not what we called them at that time. But, <laughs> you know, we, uh, we, we would meet around the campfire. We would meet around a dining table or something like that in the evening. And we would, we would talk about what we, uh, you know, how had the day been? Uh, had we accomplished our goals and had we... You know, what were we thinking about for tomorrow? What were some things that we should work on uh, as a group? Did everybody, uh, were everybody concerned about one another? I had a, a very, uh, you know, there, sometimes people have so many expectations of kids. I, I generally only had one expectation of kids. And, and the expectation was that you're going to help and not hurt. And so... So while it sounds simplistic, almost any interaction that you can have with anyone is that you can transform that processing or reflection into did you help that person or did you hurt that right, person? Right. And the same thing with the bystanders. If the bystanders didn't do it, oh, we were not involved, we were not involved. <laughs> you know, so were you really helping or were you hurting? Right. Oh, we were, were you helping? Were you hurting? Yeah. And ultimately, if you don't do anything, if somebody get this, uh, get beaten up, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. You know, then you are hurting. Then you're hurting. Yeah, then you're hurting. I mean, so we had all these conversations all the time about: Are you helping, or are you hurting? Mm. And um, so sometimes, you know, I mean, th th these travels provided. Good opportunities for rituals. I did not do that when I worked in other residential programs, but I think probably the most powerful evening I ever had with uh, with these guys on the motorcycles was that, you know, when I was going to ride with them, I had gone into a secondhand store in Copenhagen and I had bought a big old leather jacket. So yeah. I came, you know, dressed in a leather jacket. And at that time, I had a red beard that covered <laughs> half of my chest that really looked like a Viking, you know. Uh, so I looked. You looked the part. I, I looked the part. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have to say the the young guys came with motorcycle chains for belts. Yeah. I mean, so they certainly looked. The they part also too. looked the part. <laughs> so after we had been together one night, we were at a campfire, you know, and at one point I just stood up and I said, "I don't know why I need a leather jacket, you know. I mean, because that gives me, doesn't give me any power. The only power I really have comes from you all. So I ripped off my leather jacket and threw it in the campfire." Hmm. And that was probably one of the most uh, powerful uh, moments. Moments of, and there was at that first evening there were three of the other kids who burned their leather jackets. Mm. You know, it was kind of okay. At least I have three of the twelve on my <laughs> side. <laughs> you know, working on numbers. Yeah. yeah. So, so I've tried to, in in other, try to to take this. This is a good story, right? But but take that as a way to. How can you make dramatic moments when you when you really build community with yeah. kids and and do you as a teacher or a residential youth care worker do you turn your your back to kids who hurt one another do you address it do you stop and do you address it yeah. and I I think that's really important you know that's also where safety comes from we know that kids who have exposed to adversity or trauma if we call it that the primary before relationship is that they feel safe. And safe is not something that I can say, create. Safety is experienced. I experience whether I'm safe in an environment or not. So uh, safety comes from that you know that this adult is not going to overlook right. when other people call names or bully or tease or things like that. I'm calling it out. Hey, let, let's just, what did I hear? Did I hear him? What you think? Do you think that Pedro was helping or hurting when he said that? No. Yeah. I didn't. Come on, come on, come on. Be <laughs> honest. Let's just talk a little bit about it. You know, and you can do that. 
you you kind of can set a rule for yourself. You're, you're not going to drag it out. You're just going to do it for 90 seconds. And then at the end of it, if, if the group didn't move, then you just say, thank you. Don't worry. We'll talk about it again. Right, right. Don't worry. We'll talk about it again. It pops back up. Now comes back up again. Did both of those are stories of like physical activities and journeys? Now, like when you went in originally, were you were you was there intention like intentionally thinking like okay to create some of these situations, or was it just a lot of those situations just kind of happened organically based just while the trip was going on? Combo. Mm. Some sometimes you know you you I felt the underground in a group, mm. you know. When I worked in, in residential programs, not on these trips, you always knew that sometimes there was, you know, if you kind of had the, the living room kind of the center of the building and then you had the bedrooms kind of, you know. So we always talked about there was a culture down back, meaning in the bedrooms, right? right. You know, yeah. and, and when you knew that that culture down back where the adults were not present at all right. time was beginning to get hurtful, you create opportunities uh, to to have a conversation uh, with kids and and build that culture. Well, there are a lot of times where they didn't realize what was happening. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Like, lots like, lots like, of times, you know. There there is is, you know. I mean, that in in most groups, at least what I have experienced, you have a a couple of of what you think are the obvious leaders in the group, but I'll tell you there's always somebody mm. behind them pulling the strings like little puppets. <laughs> it's, it, that's the one that will say, oh, I told them they shouldn't do it. Right? <laughs> right. They're the ones <laughs> right, who kind right. of manipulate the whole group. So, yeah. so go for them. Yeah. You know? And one of the things that I think that when you have, have you, know, you have to acknowledge those kids, they have leadership skills. Mm. But don't Take the power away from them in front of the group. You always address those kids individually. Because if they lose power in front of the group, if you totally expose them in front of the group, um, they will have to prove that they are not powerless. Right. So then it gets worse. So what I at least have found is that you take those strong, we might call them negative leaders, but they are leaders, and you talk to them privately. And you always remind them about, we know what you are doing. And as long time as you keep doing, we'll talk about it. We'll talk to you about it. Mm. Don't worry. Don't worry. So I kind of said, you turn the heat up, and then you turn it down. Yeah. I mean, so I might say, <clears throat> I have just had a conversation. Let's take Pedro again with Pedro. And I just told him that we know he manipulates the whole group. Oh, he denies, he denies. it. I said, okay, okay, just think about it. And then I go over to you, Aaron, because you're coming in on my shift. And I say, just want to let you know that I just had this conversation with Pedro. Just at one point, when you have him by himself, ask him what Eric talked to him about. Mm. So you go in there and say, oh, I heard you had a, Eric, you had a conversation with Eric today about manipulation. What's that <laughs> about? Tell me about that. So you turn him up. <laughs> right. And you turn him down, <laughs> yeah. right? Don't worry, don't worry. We'll just talk about it again later. Yeah. Don't worry. And when when kids, when those kids know that that we have them, I think they begin to change. Okay, let's not put on it. All right, well, Eric, fellas, I know you got to meet. I'm gonna say, yeah, we don't want to hold you up any more, any much longer than we <laughs> already we, have already. We greatly appreciate you stopping by. Well, um, I mean, I'm absolutely. really excited to re-listen to this because there's say, a lot of knowledge yeah. in there. Yeah, and. Uh, Hopefully one day we have a story about getting tapped say. by a trucker. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> I haven't had any kids come back yet, so that's out there in the future. Right. Right. Thank you for having the opportunity to talk with you. It was great. Yeah, it's been that was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, it looks like we've come to that point. So uh, thank you to our illustrious guests. Uh, Patrick, as always, I've enjoyed our conversation. I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed listening, and we look forward to you listening next week.